Well, how are you? Doing all right? Good. Good to hear. Um, it's going to be a good morning. Fantastic. All right, so you are feeling everybody else in the room. We're just tired. That's good. That's fine. Uh, it will not stop my enthusiasm. Um, we're going to move forward. Uh, here we go. So we are uh, jumping into a brand new series this week. So if you're brand new with us or if you've been um, out for the summer of the vacation and things, uh, welcome back. Um, we are going to be jumping into a brand new series over the next five weeks. We're going to be looking at the uh, words of Jesus, and uh, we're going to hear him say the same thing um, over and over again. And it's going to begin with this phrase, you have heard it said. Um, and then he's going to explain a little bit of what his uh, version of what they've heard is. Now, this series kind of came up because I, I just felt like as a uh, body of believers here at Community, I think it's important for us to be able to look into our culture and say, okay, here's where our culture is. Here's some things we're experiencing in culture. Um, and here's some things that we as believers in Christ should be uniquely different in. And Christ is going to, Jesus is going to basically talk to his disciples and about a hundred plus others gathered here at the Sermon on the Mount. And he's going to tell them, hey, culture is going to tell you to live one way. I'm going to tell you to live a different way. He's even going to say that the church culture of the Pharisees, to which they are present uh, in, the, in this space, they're going to tell you something, but I'm going to tell you something very, very different. This is going to be a very countercultural message, and I think this is important because I think our culture um, in the West here especially is waiting for the church to become unique and unified in its message and in its purpose. Let me say that again. I think, I think, the, I think what, the, what we're waiting for in the West is for the church to find its purpose again, to find its unity in one voice and declaring in one voice, we will be different than the world. Because I think we, I, I've had a conversation this weekend, we were talking a little bit about the idea of how much we have morphed into culture. We've just kind of done everything culture has done. And, and God is going to, Jesus is going to call us to say, no, there's something different here. And as a culture, I think you know this, I think you've experienced this over the last two years or so, even beyond that, our culture is asking less and demanding more. They're, they're not waiting around. They're, 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 they're not asking and taking the time to, to find out the deep issue that's at hand. They're just going to demand more. If you turn on any news cycle, it's an immediate reaction to some news story that just popped up. They just found out about it, and they just say, this is what just happened, and what if, what if leprechauns emerge out of this plant? Like, what if the world catches on fire tomorrow. What if we don't know, we don't have all the facts, we're not real sure what we're reporting to you, but what if it's the end of the world? And we all are watching going, what if? What if it's the end of the world? What if there are leprechauns coming out of that plant? That could be amazing, right? We, we just got, we just eat all this up, and what they're doing is they're just getting that clickbait out to kind of say, we don't know, but what if this could be terrible? He says, America's worldwide, we, we've come under great stress, great fear, great unknowns. We've, we have been um, in situations of stress before, but I don't think we've gone to the level of this degree as a culture or as a nation. I don't think we've had as many extra voices demanding or dictating our actions as we have today. 
So I think we've had catastrophes in the, in the past. We have had uh, epidemics in the past. But we haven't had as, much, uh, as many voices competing for your attention as you have today, demanding that you pay attention to them. So um, the, the, the common purpose even in culture used to be pretty clear in fighting an epidemic or a war or things like that. Now the common purpose is so diluted we don't really know even sometimes what we're fighting. But we have 50 voices telling us what we should be fighting for. And if you're not fighting for this cause, culture is telling you, you should be ashamed of not fighting for whatever it is we're telling you to fight for in a given week or a given moment. So, for instance, you should be fighting COVID. You should be fighting racial inequality. You should be fighting for gay rights. You should be ending injustice of all kinds. You should be, and they keep piling on and piling on and piling on. And we, as a culture, as human beings, we just kind of, we take it all in. And we're like, yes, which one do we fight for? Which one should we, as Christians, really stand up for and take some action on? Add on top of that, <laughs> the stress and the thing of, there are really good causes to fight for, and I believe Christianity should be fighting for many things. But add on top of that, you also have the grotesque, and I would say personally, maybe even some evil companies, political parties, social media outlets, news outlets, and many more who have purposely, purposefully, I believe, just poured gas on the fire <laughs> and have said, just watch, just watch, just watch, just watch. And I think they do it for many reasons. It could be re-election, it could be funding, it could be just to divide more hate, or it could be the reason for pouring more gas on the fire, could be, could be, to quote the great theologian Alfred, Many, Alfred Pennyworth, with respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either, because some men aren't looking for any logical things like money, they can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with, some men you know this, just want to watch the world burn, right? You're welcome. Uh, you've had like John Wick and Batman now on the same, <laughs> this, is, this is good. Uh, so, so some people just want to watch the world burn and they love it, right? Some just get joy out of causing pain and anger. And we cannot, as Christ followers, as we're going to see in this message, we cannot as Christ followers take the bait. We can't. We can't allow ourselves to be following these breadcrumbs of hate and division. We can't allow ourselves to ask, we can't allow ourselves to ask less and demand more. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of taking debate. I'm tired of listening to all the shoulds of the world. You should be doing this, you should be doing this. Instead, I believe what's going to come out of this series and even maybe even this morning is we must be, begin to ask better questions more often. We must begin to slow down, ask better questions more often, and we must demand less. We must be different. We must follow the way of Christ who demanded so little because he came to serve and he always asked amazing, amazing questions. We must love and cherish our Christian culture and submit to its laws and regulations first. 
If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not a citizen of the United States. You are truly a citizen of heaven. And we must learn to follow the king who has set up the laws for us to follow. We must submit to Christ who has given us new commands and laws to govern our lives. This is what Jesus is doing at the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving us new laws, new commandments. And just like anybody else who's being told what to do, you're going to find that there's a lot of anger at the bottom of this mountain. (laughs) There's a lot of anger and frustration of who are you to tell us what to do. But this is what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount. So we are going to be here over the next five weeks together looking at the five different laws that Jesus gives us and to his disciples. And these are hopefully not just for those who are following Christ, but if you're here this morning and you're kind of like, uh, I don't know if I really believe in this Jesus thing, I really hope this morning you can understand why Christianity should be different and unique. And hopefully this will lead you to follow Christ and put your whole weight and trust in him this morning. So we start this morning in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 26 is where we will be this morning. Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 26. Let me read it in its entirety this morning, and then we'll dive into the text and see what he has to say. Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Again, he's, at the, he's, he's just given, he's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 21, he says this. You have heard it said... I'm sorry, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let me pray as we jump into the text. Father, we pray for your wisdom. God, this is going to be new maybe for some of us. There's going to be some confusion because uh, of, of how drastic you take these things. So I pray, God, for your Holy Spirit in us to give us your wisdom to understand your word. I pray that this morning the words I say would be clear. And, Father, that we would have your heart, your mind, your following your laws and not our own. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is going to do this every week of the series. He's going to show us the bare minimum idea, I guess, if, if you can put it that way, of addressing one of the pieces of the Ten Commandments, and then he will give us a new commandment that will show us why the original ten were given in the first place. So what has happened so far is the Pharisees and the Sadducees have taken these Ten Commandments and they've just kind of carte blanche put them out in front of people, but they've forgotten why the commandments were given in the first place. And we do this all the time. I mean, think of your, your family as well. Like there are certain rules in your family that were uh, put into place maybe early on that now you're kind of like, why do we have that rule in our house again, right? Um, it's kind of that thing that we just got to get used to it, but we don't understand the heart behind it. Or it, to put it another way, maybe it's the rules that go along in your house that are the rule of because I said so, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, that's a pretty valid reason apparently because you're face is telling me it's a valid reason. Um, Because I said so, that's the way it goes, right? And there's no real explanation. He says, I'm going to get behind the actual law and why the law is there. So he's going to show us the heart behind the law. So let's let's start in 21 and 22. You've heard it said, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So some keys here. One, that's extreme, right? That's 
pretty drastic, to which many people around the mountain are like, whoa, calm down, right? Maybe he just needs some more meditation. It seems like Jesus is kind of out there. But there's some keys here. There's judgment, there's courtroom, there's law, there's breaking law, there's punishment, there's questions of who or what is on trial, there's murder, there's taking a life intentionally, and then there's commandment number six. <laughs> all within those two statements. And in all of that, Jesus is trying to unpack some things. So let's just start with the word murder and talk about murder, shall we? Um, the Pharisees were at the base of this mountain. They're thinking to themselves and talking to themselves. And when he says the word murder, they're kind of like, we didn't kill anybody today, right? We didn't take anybody's life, so we, we should be fine. But the word used for murder in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, is the Hebrew word rishash, which is so fun to say. It sounds murderous. Rishash denotes the unlawful, premeditated, or immoral killing of another human being while also covering the unintentional cause of a human death through careless or negligence. So it covers murder on both sides. It covers the intent, and it also covers the, I didn't mean to, but he ended up dying in the process. Of its 47 uses in the Old Testament, this verb is never used to describe killing in war, nor is it thought to apply to slaughtering animals or defending one's home from invasion, which is very interesting in the Hebrew text, right? Maybe a little different than where we are today. God's law differentiated between willful and involuntary killing in Exodus chapter 21, 12 to 14. They clarify this, and they state that premeditated murder of another person was deemed worthy of capital punishment, Numbers 35, 17 to 21. So the, the Pharisees would know all these things. They would say, yeah, we know all that stuff. We know about murder. The accidental or involuntary causing of another person's death, however, carried a slightly lighter, lighter penalty. Though it was not grounds for the sentence of death, the guilty party was banished to an appointed place, which later God would reveal as cities of refuge. Imagine that. So back in the Old Testament, if you incidentally killed somebody or if it was by accident, you wouldn't serve in prison. You would actually go to a city. And so this whole city was refugees of those who accidentally killed people. Imagine the church services that would happen in that city. Deuteronomy 19, 1 to 13. What you? Oh, I know. Okay, you don't have to tell me what you did. Pretty sure while you're in the city. This place offered sanctuary for all the vengeful relatives. Uh, um, this offered sanctuary from all the vengeful relatives of the deceased. <laughs> right? This city probably got protested very, very often because around this city, I'm sure there were relatives who were like, just come out of the city. Just come out of the city one second. But it was also away from the home. This banishment often lasted for life because the guilty party would not be released until the death of the high priest in Numbers 35, 25 to 28. 25, 28. So while discerning between consequences for different killings can be difficult, we all know that it is a great evil and even unlawful to take another's life. And that was kind of the, we all know that. But then Jesus brings in a new law and a new commandment. To which, let's just be honest, as he puts in this new law, as he continues to put in these new laws, the Pharisees are going to want to kill him. Why? Because God himself gave us these laws on two tablets on the Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. Who are you to come in and tell us, here's a brand new law, guys. You can disregard that whole idea. I mean, imagine that. They would, they would be losing their minds because only God can do that. He says to them, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Here's what he's doing. Here's a couple things in here. One, judgment. Okay? That's kind of a lesser degree right? It's just you were meant to be found guilty. That's kind of the less of all things in this term anger. 
So in other words, murder, there are consequences for that murder. Um, the judge will give you those um, very quickly in a court law. And, and so he's basically saying, if, if we were to take this to the court of law idea, anger is liable to judgment. And then he says, the second thing is insults. This word insults in the ESV is actually the word racha, which is probably some of your Bibles, right? You're kind of like, what is that? It's kind of like a semi-swear word in in Aramaic, and so you can kind of throw that around. That's kind of fun. Um, And it was basically this, he says, if you use that word or an insult to somebody, then you are liable then to counsel. And he says, then if you go the third route, if you say fool or the Greek word moros, you are liable then to the Gehenna of fire or hell or eternal damnation. That's a pretty severe thing. So let's put that in, in maybe a little more context of Scripture. Anger without cause, uh, I'm sorry, anger without cause, of da- uh, uh, just being angry will then take you to a local court, kind of a lesser of convictions. Sin of imputing heresy, or this word raka, would then lead you to in danger of the Sanhedrin. And then the sin of condemning one's neighbor or fool would lead to immediate condemnation in hell. To which you kind of think, isn't that all kind of backwards, reversed, messed up, right? Because if I just call somebody a fool in anger, why is that hell? But if I get angry, then I'm just judgment. I mean, how does all of that work, Jesus? Because it just doesn't seem to kind of flow. Especially out on top of that, I I talked to, I'll just call you out. I talked to Amber today. I said, is this right? I said, in a court of law, talk me through this stuff. As a lawyer, tell me how this works. In today's court system, she said, no, you start with actually the most severe offenses and then read to the order of least. Jesus seems to read least to worst, which is kind of backwards from where we are today. Jesus starts with least degree of conviction and ends with the worst. And one could read into this of why and how, but here's what I think he's doing. I don't think he's going verbatim and saying specifically anger equals this, fool equals this, this equals this. I think what he's doing is using symbolism and imagery to convey his one major point and driving home the idea that anger is the real defendant on trial. And I think he's using these three examples to make sense to these Pharisees and scribes who would very much know the court system and how it works, right? They would know how the Sanhedrin works. They would know what judgment would be. They know what it would mean to go through the court system. And so Jesus is putting it in the terms these Pharisees and Sadducees can understand. It's as if he's talking directly to them, but he's got this hidden message that is going out to the people at the Sermon on the Mount. Anger is truly what is on trial here. And so if you go into depth and you kind of work through those three things, you can kind of get lost in the weeds, but I think the real issue is anger. But yet if we're really honest this morning, if it's just about anger, you're still kind of lost in the weeds because you're like, anger and murder? Really? Like, I'm killing people if I get angry? That just seems really aggressive. And honestly, Jesus, that makes me a little angry. <laughs> right? So Ed Welch, an amazing little book. If, you, if you're looking for any kind of meditation for the summer, I strongly recommend this little book. It's called A Small Book About a Big Problem on Anger. Um, and it's like daily meditations for every day. It's fantastically practical. We're going to use some pieces from there. But... Murder, he says, needs a def- or I'm sorry, anger, he says, needs a definition. And in this book, he gives this definition of anger. I think this is really good. Anger specializes in indicting others, but is unskilled at both self-indictment and love. 
Anger is great. It specializes in indicting others, but is unskilled in both self-indictment and love. Sinful anger, in other words, specializes in indicting others. Jesus is saying here that anger indicts others, and then we become the judge, jury, and executioner whenever we get angry. Is that not true? Whenever we get angry, we don't have a court system to work through in our minds. We just simply make ourselves judge, jury, and executioner. We're the ones responsible for handling how this is going to go. Somebody ticks you off. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Or somebody is going way too slow again on 93, which always happens. I become judge, jury, and executioner. I automatically become a police officer in my mind. And then I not only become a police officer, I say, you know what? I'm not only the police officer, I'm going to drive you to court. And then in my mind, I take them to court. I have the trial. They are guilty. Therefore, they need punished, right? And it all happens within three seconds, right? And you have to decide in those three seconds, how did I get to become judge, jury, and executioner of this person? And we have many reasons. One is the fact that they just can't read speed limit signs. But there are other reasons that make us angry, and we all are susceptible to this idea of becoming judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to anger. Jesus realizes this, and Jesus sees the sixth commandment of thou shalt not murder and went to the moral and spiritual heart of the law. In other words, Jesus knew that about you and I, and he knew that about the Pharisees, and so he takes the sixth commandment of thou shalt not murder, and he says, here here is why you have that commandment. Does that make sense? He's basically telling these people, here's the purpose, here's the reason why we have this commandment, thou shalt not murder. And the reason we have thou shalt not murder is because of anger. Because anger brings us to the point of even taking a life. Anger takes us to the point of using semi-swear words like the word racha in, in, this, in this example. It, it moves us to insult. It moves us to calling people moroses or fools. It moves us in many different places. But it all becomes clear or all starts in anger. Murder only comes through unresolved anger. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right? We all know that. We all know that. That's true. But we sometimes forget that it is all because of unresolved anger. This happens. First John 3.15 tells us, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Ever hate your brother before? All the time. Right? It says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life or life is abiding in him. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Eternal life, what are you talking about? He is going to the heart of the issue, and he's showing us the impossibility of what it means to have a life outside of Christ. I'm going to come back to that at the end, but let's continue on. Anger is the base. It is the bottom. It is the, the, the bottom of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg is the blow-up, <clears throat> the facial expression, how it comes out. But ultimately, at the bottom is anger. Because anger leads to response, response leads to actions, actions lead to consequences, and there we are. All of it starts in the heart, and sadly because of sin, anger is our natural response. No one is immune from it. It's our natural tendency to overstate the wrongs of others and understate our own. We're all really good at it. Or Jesus would not have needed to give us Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I love this passage. It's just a quick little rabbit trail here. Which is easier surgery, log or speck? Which one requires a little more finesse and detail, a speck or a log, right? Log, two by four, you're kind of like, gone, cool, 
fixed. You're going to need to put a cap on that. Patch, cap. (laughs) Cap on that. Patch, thing. You're going to need to fix it. Okay? Uh, the, the, the spec, right, that's, that's a whole lot of like, have you ever had something stuck in your eye and you can't get it out? And you're kind of like, uh, and somebody tries to put their finger close to your eye and you're like, no, 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 no. Because you, it's just in there and they're like, let me just kind of, and even now as I'm doing this, some of you guys are going like this. Okay? It, is, it, is, it, it requires finesse. It requires patience. It requires a calm and it requires time to take the speck out of somebody's eye. And I think that's where he's getting this thing. When, when, it's, when it's anger-filled, when it's just judgment and it's just putting, it's their fault, it's the difference between a speck and a log. Jesus is telling us when it comes to murder, we are all guilty. We are all guilty of it. We are all under stress and we all have anger to deal with. The question this morning is not have we killed, but whom and to what degree could we be charged with? It is not a matter of if we use Jesus' definition here, it's not a matter of who, if we have or if we have not killed. It's a matter of whom have we killed and what degree of murder are we charged. Let me just kind of explain how this looks. And you know this. This is not going to be anything new. But some of us, it's, if you kind of use murder terms or anger specifically, I guess, it's, some of us are kind of the, the covert anger, right? So your, your way of murder is a little different. Um, you do it more discreetly. It's more covert. You, you, you kind of maybe use this like really painful jab at somebody and then you go, ah, I was just kidding. Right? It, it, or or you, there's just kind of this normal grumbling or complaining. Why do I always have to? Why can't you ever? Right? Just, it, it's never really direct. It's just kind of under the surface. And it's not really like, it's, and you always say things like, like this. This is, this, is, this is one of my favorites. It's not a big deal, but, right? And you're kind of like, okay, here it comes. Whenever there's a but in the equation, don't quote that, um, there's always something behind it, right? And so it's kind of this covert, right? And if you are a certain personality, you're better at this than others. Some of your anger is like cyber warfare where you just kind of drop little things in every once in a while. Everywhere you go, you just kind of drop a little bit of anger, a little bit here, a little bit there, and then you kind of watch and you see if it takes root. If it doesn't, you kind of like, hmm, okay, that didn't really do it. I'm going to drop a little bit more there until eventually the person blows up. And here's what you get to do after the person blows up. You get to be the guy on the other side to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's all this anger coming from? Joel just said that Jesus said you can't murder. What? Right? Drip a little bit here, a little bit there. I was just kidding. Nope. Some of it's covert. Some of your anger could be cold, right? Some of you who are really, really good at relationships, who are really, really good at caring for people, on your anger days, you are cold. And so what you do is in your anger, you withhold care. Like somebody's struggling in your house and you just sit back and you're like, must be painful. How's it feel without me in your life? Cool. Let me know how that goes. I'm going to be over here, right? And they're like, that's weird. Normally they're caring. Normally they're really in tune with my, my needs. 
What are they doing? And it's not just withholding care. Maybe some of us, that's kind of our MO. Maybe in the cold anger as well, it's the idea of, I keep score, and you never do it on a tally sheet on the fridge, but you sure do it, right? It's always that kind of like 605, 24 hours, right? And you, there's a long list, and then what happens is after a while, you know this, the, the, you hold on to it for a while, and then all of a sudden something happens, small little thing, and you just unload the list and all the convictions possible as the judge, jury, and executioner, and you unload 60 different offenses, and they're like, What? How long have you been holding that list? About a year and a half, actually. Um, so all of these things kind of build in this cold kind of anger. Remember, it doesn't... Here's the key thing. With these covert and cold anger, here's, here's your thing you need to remember. Remember, anger does not have to come out of your mouth to be anger. It doesn't have to be words. Some of you are really good at it without the need for that. It's the heart. And then there's others of us who maybe are actually a little more healthy Okay, let's be honest. There may be others who are a little more healthy, and it's just hot anger, which is basically like jealousy, sabotage, win at all costs, you know, boom, like the explosion happens. Like for some of you in the room, like your weapon of choice is the grenade launcher, and you just kind of sit back and you're like, and all of a sudden just boom, and you're just like, I've been heard, right? And the, and the whole family is like, we've, we've been, you've been heard, right? Because you just, boom, and it's out there, right? It's, it, it's, it's jealousy, it's sabotage, it's violent, and unfortunately, even the harder sides of that, which we need to address, like, some of that's funny, and we're kind of like, yeah, that's kind of the lighter side. The other side of that, though, is the severe pieces, and that's the violence and the abuse that comes with these kind of grenade launchers, and there are victims of these kind of things. And so anger has these small sides, but it also has the sides where we sit back and say, oof, oof, that's, that's, that's rough. A couple more pieces that may be part of this practically. Sarcasm says, you're stupid and I'm not. <laughs> then it adds, just kidding. As you enjoy your self-righteous vantage point. Just putting this out there. This is all from him. So don't, this is all from him. So don't crucify me on these parts. Uh, grumbling, <laughs> like I threw Ed Welch, like I know the guy. Under the, <laughs> it's all him. Uh, grumbling and complaining speak the common refrain of all anger. I want something and I'm not getting it. Or in short, I want. Gossip is the judge who publicizes his or her verdict and tries to convince others to pronounce the same verdict. <laughs> Ouch. You can't say amen. You can say ouch. Um, Withdrawal and silence are nasty. They are forms of punishment. They will not show your favor to the wretched soul until he or she begs forgiveness and make amends. Indifference might be the worst form of anger. You simply do not care about the person anymore. You have judged him and sent him off into exile where he can bother you no more. (laughs) Jealousy takes envy once, I'm sorry, let's go with envy. Envy says, I want what you have. Broken relationships are sure to follow this. Jealousy takes envy one step further and says, I deserve what you have and you do not deserve it. These are some of the possibilities when angers run crazy. So that's what it maybe experiences like. What it feels like is, are these kind of top 10 things of what it feels like. Anger feels like a threat, Murder or being pursued in murder feels a threat. Anger feels like being misunderstood. Anger feels like fatigue. The hangry, the, the I'm, just, uh, I'm just burnt out and so you get the worst of me. It feels like injustice ignored. It feels like depression. It feels like arrogance being dismissed. Some of you, that's your thing, man. If you are dismissed, you are just... Oof, oof, do not 
dismiss my opinion. Some of it's taken for granted. Sometimes it feels like sabotage. And sometimes it just feels like guilt and shame. And we all feel these things. We all have these things to work with. But here's the thing. We can demand more in these situations, or we can choose to ask better questions. And we can figure out what the root of these things is and figure out a way out of anger. All of them kill us. It's just a matter of what weapon your personality type likes to use more naturally. It all, it, we all do it. So what do we do? We end here. So what do we do? Matthew chapter 5, 24, or 23 to 24, Jesus then gives us two, two stories that are made up, that are kind of these narratives to give us an idea of what do we do, okay? So the first narrative he gives us in 23 and 24, so if you are offering your gift at the altar there and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Ed Welch says it like this, wise judges recuse themselves when things get personal. They step off the bench when the case involves wrongs committed against them because they know their judgments will be biased. See, instead of just going directly to the judge, instead of just coming into church and saying, I'm just going to talk to God about my anger, he's telling you, no, the first step is actually to be reconciled to the person you have anger with, not to avoid it and hope that somehow God will just deal with it. It's, it's actually a personal connection. So some of the first questions we ask and not demanding more are these. Maybe these are the questions we need to ask before we do anything else that bring about this reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ and even the world. First question is this, who have we wronged? And, and I think that's a huge question that we think through in our anger. Who have I hurt in the middle of this anger? I've had three or four episodes uh, this week already. Uh, one took place in our garage where I was waiting you know, to find something before I had to go to soccer camp and I needed to find something. And all of a sudden, um, I had like three or four different kids staring at me like this, like, what are we doing? What are you doing? How can I help? What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't need any help, right? And I never said it like that, but my face said, I don't need any help. Right, and they all kind of went, "Oh, Dad's got that face." So uh, it, it was it was them that I wronged, and I realized that later. I'm like, "Oh, I did it again!" Right, so I, I had to acknowledge who I wronged, and I had to basically say, "How can I recuse myself? How can I get these charges off? How can I pull this this verdict back?" What I needed to do was ask for forgiveness and say, "I'm sorry. I shouldn't have exploded. I apologize for that." Anger got the best of me right there, and that was not my best moment, and you got the recipient of that. We recuse ourselves. And one of the easy, those are some big head questions, but let me just phrase it like this. Maybe these are the questions we just need to ask, and this is probably one of the biggest ones. In the midst of anger, when it's, especially when it's covert or cold, one of the best questions you can ask is, are we okay? You ever been there? Something's off in the relationship. Something's not right. Like, you can feel it. They can feel it. There's something not right in the house. One of the best questions you can ask are, are we okay? Are we good? I just feel like there's something here, and I don't know what that is. Can we just get whatever it is on the table? The other question is, what have I done that's bothered you? Like, what, what is, if I've done something that has is, that is put this out there, like, what is it that has caused this reaction to it? And what you're doing is you're taking all those convictions and you're, you're moving them into this, this system of saying, I want forgiveness for these things. But the only way Christ says that we do this is if we actually have the conversation with the other person and not ignore it and just go directly to God and say, God, please forgive them for being an idiot, right? 
that's, that's not helpful, okay? Instead, it's going to the person. So that's the first thing he says is go to the person, be reconciled, leave your gift before you get to the church, uh, and, and offer your gift there. The second thing is this. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is crazy cool. What he does here is he says, hey, how many legal, uh, um, how many legal things are happening right now or how many um, lawyers are getting paid for cases that never needed to make it to court in the first place, right? He says, here's what's happening. You, 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 before you even get to court, Maybe you want to think this through before you have to start thinking about all the things that are going to happen. Because what's he do here? He lays it out. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. And if you do that, here's he says what's going to happen. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, that's not going to be good. That's going to cause a whole lot of time delays. How many cases are still waiting to happen in our court systems that have never been approached? And so you just get more and more time to fester, more and more time to think about this. Lest you hand you over to the judge, that's the first inconvenience that builds more anger. And then on top of that, the judge to the guard, and he's going to hold you until this case comes up before him. So that's isolation. That's painful. And then you'll be put in prison while you wait, or if you're convicted, then you are in prison. And he says, here's the thing, you're never going to get out of that prison until you pay the last penny. Do you really want that system played out in your anger? Or wouldn't it just be easier to talk to the person you have the issue with before you go to the court? Wouldn't it be easier to say, can we just settle this out of court? Can we just talk about this? Can we just have a rational conversation and figure out where we were wrong and figure out how we go through this? That's what he's saying here. He says, one, is reconciled to your brother. And secondly, slow down, ask more, and demand less. Because here's the visual in my head as they're going to court, there's a whole lot of demanding. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. This was all your fault. I have it on film. I, 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 I've got references. I've got witnesses. Um, and they're all going to, and I'm going to take you for what you are. I, I, I got a, this is a small little tangent, but I had a phone call at 3 a.m. We were in Disney World vacation once. And I got a phone call at 3 a.m. for selling a car to this guy. And he calls me and he's uh, murderous. And, and, and he says, you sold me this and it doesn't work and you know, and I'm going to take you to court and it's going to be the worst thing for you. I've got, I've got lawyers and I'm going to, and I was like, it's 3 a.m., right? And so I'm like, whatever. And I, I forget about it. I hang up. I get a text at 6 a.m. the next morning. Oh, uh, sorry. And I, and I should never give my phone out to a guy you're selling a car to. Just don't do that. But he, he, he texts me back at 6 a.m. He goes, hey, sorry, man. I was really wasted last night. Cool, thanks. Um, and so those murderous things in the heat of the moment, like they just make us look really stupid, right? They make us look really foolish. And, and yet they, they happen. And so he's saying, hey, as you, before you even get to the court system, before you get lawyers involved, can we just talk about this? Because again, from this book, Ed Welch says, in every argument, every opportunity, anger has to get a foothold. In every argument, every opportunity, anger has to get a foothold. Jesus teaches us to either leave the courtroom or to enter it as the accused rather than the accuser and judge. Let me read that again. This is brilliant. And in every argument, every opportunity, anger has to get a foothold. Jesus teaches us to either leave the courtroom or to enter it as the accused rather than the accuser and judge. That's what he's asking us to do. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 to 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. James four seventeen. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here's the thing. What Jesus is asking us to do though and not be angry 
is impossible. Let me just put that out. This is so hard because he says, you just, just don't be angry because anger equals hell and damnation. That seems aggressive, right? Let's go back to the beginning. That seems nuts. How, how on earth does that work, Jesus? For most of us, we would say on a regular basis that anger is simply a legitimate response to stupid people. Like, it's, 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 it's the only response given. Don't quote that. Some of you guys are like, that's a great tattoo. Um, Jesus' anger charge against you. Let me just add this. Jesus' anger charge against you and I is just. What? Jesus' new law is just. Because any sin is an affront to God and his holiness. The punishment is just. Here's the amazing news, though. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible to do without Jesus. It's impossible without Christ laying his life over your charges and saying, you're clear, you're done, I've got this, walk out free. Only Jesus offers grace and mercy. He looks at your case, he puts his cross and his sacrifice over it, and he says, Grace here, mercy here. I take the charges. Jesus and Jesus alone can handle the charges. You can't. Because who's going to handle the offense of God? God himself. You can't handle it on your own. Jesus and Jesus alone can handle the charges. Jesus took our sins on himself so that every time you offend or are offended, you take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do I do? Go to your brother, get it reconciled, and I'm going to go with you. Fix this outside of court and I will be with you. Take it quickly. Take it quickly to him so you can avoid the court. And, and lastly, as you take it quickly, it gives you the opportunity to ask more than you demand. Ask, where is this anger coming from so you can name it? Ask so you can be free from it and ask so that you can demand less. All of this is only possible through Christ. It's the only way. We were dead in our trespasses, but through the grace of God, his son dying in our place, we now have life. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. We are free because Christ is over us. Joel, that seems impossible. Just wait, it gets worse. There's going to be more laws and new things we're going to be looking at. They're going to say, that's impossible. To which Jesus is like, yes, you're finally getting it. It is impossible. Without me, it is impossible. But with me, this gets covered. My grace, my mercy, I take the charges. You're free to go. Isn't that crazy? You're free to go. I got this. And we walk out of the courtroom, and Jesus is still there taking the charges upon himself. That's the beauty of what you have. So as we close this morning, I don't know how you've entered the room, whether it's been an angry week or not, whether you've got victims laying all over your living room. I don't know how this looks for you, but here's what I do know. All of it's impossible without Christ. And so this song we're going to sing as we close is a surrender moment. It's simply saying, God, in your grand story, you've taken care of everything. You've covered it all. And our response in all of it is simply, I surrender to you. All of it is just simply, I give it back to you. So would you please stand with me as we close out this morning? Father, we thank you this morning.